Welcome back to the second episode of the Future Shoes podcast. My name is Georgina Massey. I'm a senior associate in the Solent office at Shoesmith with a focus on residential development work, mainly dealing with site acquisition and strategic land. As part of this mini podcast series, we're exploring various topics which represent the life cycle of development, such as finding sites, building design, planning constraints and sales to end users which we are breaking down into a mini podcast series. What we're doing is bringing out our crystal balls to see what challenges are likely to be on the horizon in 2030 and what actions developers may take to deal with such challenges in the future. I'm joined today by Steve Coppett from Seawood Homes and my colleague Grace Mitchell, who I'd like to thank for giving up their time today in recording this podcast series. Please, can you each introduce yourselves? Morning, Georgie. Uh, as you said, I'm Steve Colpitt, MD for Seawood Homes. We're an SME in Chidester, West Sussex. Uh, we build between 50 to 100 units a year, and we also promote uh, land through the planning system. Thanks, Georgie. Thanks, Steve. As you mentioned, my name is Grace Mitchell. I'm a senior associate in the planning team in the Solent office at Shoesmiths, and I deal with all sorts of planning and infrastructure issues which may arise for our clients, whether that be a developer, landowner, or local authority. So the... the... The second topic we're looking at is um, building design and construction methods. So setting the scene, at the moment, we're starting to see a move away from traditional red brick construction. And as we discussed in our first podcast, um, just blank concrete jungles um, of residential units and design. So we're now starting to see um, more use of modular housing with a focus on sustainability and building standards and of course, accommodating net zero carbon requirements. So um, casting our minds to the, ahead to the future, um, Steve, what are your predictions for building design and construction methods for 2030, particularly for residential development? If you look back on historically our housing stock, it hasn't really changed much since uh, 1948. Um, I agree with you. I think the red brick, um, uh, design will move on now as a company what we're looking at is we have started looking at modular housing and it, it, it's primarily for efficiencies so it's not not necessarily just because it has to be modular housing the efficiencies of build the carbon footprint of build um, we're all told about our carbon footprint um, got to be co2 uh, neutral carbon neutral but what does that actually mean um, and if you look at it quite carefully, if your materials come from Canada, it doesn't really help, does it? So I, I can't see design changing. I, I don't think it'd be a revolution on design. Um, mm. We're not talking about grand design buildings all over the place. It has to be, of course, efficient and viable. Um, and the most important thing is to build places where people want to live and have a good street scene and placemaking. And if that's done by modular housing, I think modular housing has come on leaps and bounds in the last three or four years mm. um there's been some significant changes to the way they look uh, we looked at this about six seven years ago and it was didn't look too good back then it was sort of school buildings changed to look like housing and mm. didn't look right mm. but what we're seeing now coming out and for for a developer and a builder um looking at build efficiencies not being on site for a very long time if you can just put, the, put your foundations and infrastructure in and they crane in um, the, foot, the, the ground floor and the first floor and you put the roof on top, 
that saves a lot of time in build. Um, for us on efficiencies, it's prelims are much, much cheaper. And the only issue I can see is modular building. They are big units on the back of a lorry. Mm. If you've got a small, tight site, how on earth do you get them in there? You've got to crane them in. Where do you park the lorries? So it's not the, um, the silver bullet coming out. It will work on larger schemes, I'm sure. Um, but the best thing about modular is that you can bespoke them in the factory and they can come to site, drop them in, drop them on top of each other, and they're done. I actually think that the the infrastructure, especially along the south coast, particularly you know from where we are at the moment in Sussex, we don't necessarily have those lovely wide roads or accesses no. into our development sites. So I think that could be um, a genuine issue in terms of maybe having more more radical building designs you know in our local area um but i mean picking up on um modular development so it's great that it brings the the efficiencies for the developer but what do you think are public attitudes to modular housing do you think there's an uh, an appetite in the market for that or do you still think people like their their red bricks and mortar um the british buying public are very traditional Mm. We all have this idea of a cottage in a uh, in a lovely village. You're describing um, me there. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it depends who 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 your target market is. Mm. Um, I, I interesting enough, our older gen- generation um, at, at Seawoods we have families. We we've got our marketing set aside for four different families, so we know which family wants what and where they want to live and how they want to live. And what's interesting is the older generation are, are influenced heavily by the younger generation. So we, we, can, we can foresee that they will be very happy. They will be me. I'd love to live in an environmental friendly house, but it's got to look good. It's got to look stylish. It's got to be efficient. And it has to be um, something that I have to buy into as a buyer. Um, I think it's a very good point about people buying into it. You've got to buy into it. But as time goes by, you know, look, look at electric, electric cars now. You know, five years ago, would you buy an electric car? Good God, no, you know, you wouldn't because you know, the Duracell wouldn't run long enough. But mm. now it's all evolved and we now sort of accept them as a general form of, of, of transport. So, so the design and the design methods and construction methods that are emerging at the moment, they're being just as driven by the residents as they are by local government uh, great uh, absolutely if you go into any of our marketing suites and listen to people coming through uh the first question is is um what green technologies have you got in this property at seawood we have something called seawood green which is an in-house green initiative team and we're constantly looking at this and constantly trying to evolve our, what we do to our properties you can get led down what we call the bolt-ons air source heat pump ground source heat pump PVs, um, water reharvesting. This is not new. To, this is not new technology, and it's been around some time. And we, we've found. Let's take air source heat pumps. Everyone says, "Oh, we've got to do air source, air source heat pumps." When you look at the, the figures about running them, they look really, really good until the motion heater in the tank has got to come on, mm-hmm. and then the cost goes up. And we, we're working with partners on on these these units and. We think there's there is a way forward forward on on them coming forward, but it has to be fabric first. It has to be how the houses are built, how they're insulated, what they're made of, and how efficient are they to run for our buyers. And I think that is the real clue 
It's not bolting on extras to make them better. Bolt-ons are fantastic for the existing housing stock. I can see that working. But going forward, I don't think you'll see loads of air tools, heat pumps and gardens. No. I was talking from experience. I've just had to turn my house from oil to gas, which seems bonkers in this day and age, <laughs> because an air source heat pump just wasn't efficient for us because we our house is so old and with the insulation and trying to retrospectively fit that. So, yeah, I think it's this idea that we want that greenhouse, but we but a lot of people don't know the practicalities of what actually goes into making it. And it's, it's yeah, the building foundations, really. Because the National Trust... They um, have taken some of their oil-fired uh, houses and made them into air source and we stayed in one a couple of years ago. And it was a lot of pipe work in there. And mm. all, it was a big unit in the, in the garden. But given it's due, it works, works very well. It's very simple technology. It's just basically squeezing air through a small tube. It's yeah. hot, holding onto a bicycle pump. It's the same thing. And, but it can only do so much. Mm. So let's get our creative hats on. 2030 so we're talking about you know avoiding kind of bolt-ons but you know what green initiatives or prop tech do you think that there could be for modern homes and modern green homes that people want to live in wow um a lot of them will be technology driven everything will be done from your phone or an ipad if they're still around then and so everything will be very controllable i don't think you're going to have anything which looks futuristic i think it's not going to change an awful lot mm. because again it's all fabric first it may not be made from bricks and blocks and 200 mil of insulation in the walls however this is going to go it is going to be um, designed properly on the outset to be efficient and then it's just going to be a very easy um, maintenance maintenance is a big question a lot of maintenance issues come up um will we move away from um, GRP because of its glass fiber and because of environmental impact and go back to more sustainable wood. I, I don't know, but if you, if you do go back to wood, it becomes a maintenance issue. So, and then do you have to keep painting it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I don't think it's going to be fundamental revolution on, on design. That's a shame. I was hoping we we're going to have some sort of discussion about spaceships and things like that. <laughs> but um, I mean, you know, picking up on the, the greater use of electric and hybrid vehicles, I mean, it is becoming more expected now for new builds that they will have that electric car charging point. But I guess, um, you know, one thought that I've had, uh, particularly where you might have inner city developments or, or on street parking, it would be developing some sort of wireless car charging system and having things like that available. Um, Grace, have you got any wild and wacky ideas what we might see in the future? Mm, I do think there'll be a lot of focus on yeah, how houses are, how they have their heating and, and electrics. Um, there's obviously a lot of talk about hydrogen at the moment and also using current boilers and, and how they can use the technology that's already in houses. So I think there's going to be a lot of focus on that. Um, wacky ideas, though, <laughs> by 2030, which is fast approaching. Um, yeah, I, I think I think I agree with you, Steve. I think people really like traditional houses, and more so actually as time goes on. I think they're looking for that that sort of village feel or feeling part of a community. I think there'll be a lot of onus on yeah place making and can they walk to work, especially with how the last year has gone in terms of people working from home a lot more. I think there'll be a lot of focus on is their house suitable for all areas of their life. I think that's quite a big thing, and 
and people wanting a bit more space around them. Um, but yeah, nothing too wacky. <laughs> I think I think you've also touched on a very good point there because if you look at where we are in the country, um, there's a big need for housing in the countryside, rural housing. Most of the villages around us uh, have conservation areas, there's listed buildings, there's grade one listed churches. So if you can't just go in with a modular house, a modern design and pop them in the village because it's just not going to happen. Um, they will still have to be generally built into such a way that they fit in to, to the conservation rules or the parish rules, local plan rules of that village. So it, 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 we're not going to go shooting off into a direction. There's a, um, a company called Block Lock, um, which is uh, IKEA. And they, uh, what they're doing at the moment, modular housing is very exciting and quite looking forward to go to one of their sites, which I know they're currently building to see how it's done. It looks fantastic. But the problem with your Wi-Fi, your Wi-Fi charging, you're going to start cooking, <laughs> cooking yourself as you get in your car or something. Um, but the other thing of, of all this is infrastructure. Yeah, now we've yes. got to be able to deliver down the cables, electrical cables, all this demand for electricity. Yeah. Now, have, has the network got pack capacity? Southern Water here under significant pressure of not upgrading their infrastructure enough. So hence we've got the nitrate, phosphates and and other issues. So um, we may need to start in the ground first and make sure the infrastructure is there first before mm. we start being too clever. Uh, absolutely. I, I do think the, the lack of infrastructure is something that is going to, to inhibit um, building design. And I think development in, in more rural areas as well. Um, I couldn't agree agree more on that. So it's interesting you're, you're talking effectively about modular housing and um, obviously the greater need for, for quite serious infrastructure to be in place and um, to facilitate that. So to me, it's actually sounding, we could be in an environment where you've got those bigger sites um, that are available where modular housing and creating that village feel could be viable, which sounds maybe more appropriate for the bigger national house builders. Do you think that might actually open up the market for um, SMEs in those smaller vi village settings where maybe they need will have some slightly tighter building constraints because they need to build sympathetically with those village environments um, that you might actually still stick to more of that traditional building model but actually it could be a gap in the market for you um, I take you straight back to the planning system um, it takes as much time to get planning permission these days for 10 houses as, as it does 100 mm. and you have to weigh up um, is it worth it? Um, have we got the time and resource to build just 10 houses um, where we've got uh, a team to, to be employed against putting resources trying to get 100? Um, I, think the, um, I think there is always going to be a demand for artisan house builders. And, and I, I applaud them because some of them are amazing jobs. We, we've, we are part of the Sussex Heritage Awards mm. and we went to the awards this year and some of the, the stuff they're doing is incredible. Um, as an SME, we, we physically couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. But what we are looking forward to is um, the bigger house builders who have the resources to look at the emerging Partel and seeing how they incorporate Partel in their in their models, and then we we course we can then uh, latch onto that. So we think the current costs are going to bring us back in line, but the but it also goes down. We go back to economics. Mm -hmm. 
if the building regs change and we all have to build a certain design, that's fantastic. We're all in the same boat when we're looking at different opportunities. If um, you're being pushed to be experimental and say, why don't you try this, blah, 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 on this site, you will never win the site because your build costs will be there. Others who are not necessarily pushing the part L as heavily as you we would want to won't be, so their build costs will be lower. Mm. And so you, you probably won't get a hold of the opportunity. So in that regard, do you think developers are naturally leading on new construction methods? Or do you think at the end of the day, it's going to be driven by, um, you know, what the end user requires and also what effectively is legislated for in the planning system? I think if you take humans as a species, I think we always always have to be told what to do before we do it. Mm. Um, if you told everyone the motorway speed limit was 70, please, can you stick to 70? And there was no law, people wouldn't do 70. I think you, we have to be led by uh, by legislation. We think we have to be led uh, by Part L, especially when Part L is the emerging building regs. Mm. That helps us as well to stop us sort of running off in a direction which is doesn't work or hasn't been acceptable. But flipping those comments, Steve, on, on its head in terms of, you know, talking about innovation, I guess, you know, bringing in net zero carbon is forcing developers to be initiative with their building design and construction. Yes, absolutely. Um, it is forcing us down. It's not forcing us, by the way. Seawood, we're very keen uh, to, to start uh, putting in these new green technologies, green um, uh, MMCs. Um, but we, we, we have to be on a level playing field with everyone else because mm. otherwise it's, you know, commercially it's not viable just to go off. Unless we owned the land and we were the landowners and we could make those decisions. We are keen. We are keen to, to work with the emerging policies coming out. So you've mentioned um, previously Seawood Green. Can you tell us a bit about that and what you're doing? Uh, Seawood Green is, as I said, it's an internal team where we have a monthly meeting and we are constantly renewing, constantly renewing uh, our thought process on how we can be uh, reducing our, our carbon footprint, how we, how we can reduce the, the, um, the cost of running our homes, how we can look at, uh, we, we do a lot of in-house um, environmental days, looking at bringing awareness to our Instagram and Facebook accounts by saying, did you know today is National Animal Day, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So we, we, we are trying to um, make sure that we are up to speed with, with what is going on because this is, this is emerging and changing so fast. Mm. We are very, as I've said before, I'm very, very pro what is being done. Um, but if we don't have an internal team, we'll get left behind. Mm. And there are some good ideas coming out at the moment and um, seeing our effect on the environment and how much of a, of a wind turbine does a house use. If you have a big wind turbine, how much of it does it use? And it 0.0003% of a wind turbine. So if you made your house slightly more efficient, then it'd be 0.0001%. And if you do that, that means a wind turbine, when it powers itself up, can power more houses because it's more efficient. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. No, it, it, it does, absolutely. Um, I think I'm more kind of wanting to drill down and kind of practically, you know, what can be done to drive more sustainable 
builds. I mean, you know, we are talking about ground source heat pumps and things like that at the moment, which we all know, you know, have their their benefits and their and their disadvantages. Um, but it's whether or not you know you think they will just naturally become the norm because people, you know, because developers or, or house builders, you know, just want to get a quick fix in the ground to meet net zero carbon targets. Or actually, is there going to be more genuine thought as to what can be put into a to a house? So, how can building design change um, to to accommodate net zero carbon, which will last for you know long term for for generations mm. to come? I, I think all my contemporaries, we're all on on that. We we all want to see how we can make things better. The confusing bit is what does net zero and what does net carbon mean? What does it actually mean? Are you saying is the house carbon neutral or is the build process carbon neutral? Is the delivery carbon neutral? Um, I think to get zero carbon, I think personally, uh, I need a little bit more direction what that actually means. Because mm. as soon as you use any form of transport that uses oil, you're not carbon neutral are you you've, you've used a vehicle to get that to the site we as a local company 50 percent, if not more of our trades all live in live within 20 miles of of us mm. so and when we go to a new site which is slightly out of area we always focus on trades in the area and that is that's one way of reducing the carbon footprint mm, absolutely i still think it's it is on the housing side it is fabric first how the houses are designed not necessarily trying to go off and find bolt-on extras. Okay, that's great. Well, thanks, Steve, for all your time today. That's some really interesting thoughts about building design and, and construction methods. And um, it's been great having you on our Future Shoes podcast. Georgie, thank you so much. Thank you.